Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 365 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today is the next episode in the After Dark series. The After Dark series began back in October of 2019 at episode 274, where we talked about drinking with type 1 diabetes. The next month, episode 283, After Dark Weed Edition. And then in 2020, at episode 305, we talked about trauma and addiction. In episode 319, sex with type 1 diabetes from the female perspective. In episode 336 of After Dark, we talked about depression and self-harm. And today, sex with type 1 diabetes from a male perspective. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Listen, today again, there's going to be a lot of adult language and themes. The curses, you know, like the actual curse words are beeped out, but still, there's a lot being spoken about here that is... um you know, not exactly well hidden. So now's a good time to shut this off if your kids are in the car or if your kids listen by themselves usually. You should be running through the house to stop them. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Omnipod, the tubeless insulin pump. Get a free, no-obligation demo of the Omnipod sent directly to your home today by going to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. The podcast is also sponsored by Dexcom, makers of the G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. Check out the Dexcom G6 at Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. And if you enjoy the theme of today's show, you're going to enjoy the theme of today's ad. So when we talk about Dexcom and Omnipod later, you know, there might be some beeps. I'm Eric Dutcher, also known as Chronic Superhuman, and uh, I'm a type 1 diabetic, 19 years, uh, and I'm married to my wife, Heather, for seven years. Nice. 19 years. How old are you now? I am 45. Hmm. That's interesting. So you were diagnosed at like 26? Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, I was running and gunning in a new career and um, everything seemed to be going okay. And then it wasn't, <laughs> how did, how did then it wasn't present itself? Um, I actually lost about 20 pounds, which I'm 155, 160 today and on a five, nine frame. So that was pretty, uh, significant. Um, and, uh, yeah, just doing the typical, um, frequent urgent need to pee and, um, the weight loss. And, uh, so it was pretty clear that it was diabetes, although I didn't know that at the time. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I was going to say that you and I met recently in Dallas, uh, for, for a brief minute, but I thought 20 pounds must've been stark on you. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a bit. Yeah, It was quite a bit, but it, 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 like it threw me for a loop. It, it threw me into, um, either low mood or a depression for about 10 years. And, um, really the biggest part of my journey and my story is really coming on the other side of that depression and, and becoming who I am today, or actually more appropriately refinding who I was before. So let's find out about that a little bit. Um, we always 
assume, like people guess all the time, right? Like when's the best time to be diagnosed with diabetes uh, as if there is, you know, a best time. But I think most people tend to agree that from a psychological standpoint, it's before you know about a life without diabetes. Is that what threw you into a, a depression? Just the sense of loss? Yeah, you know, the sense of loss was a big part of it, but it was just this, um, you know, the the weight of everything coming down. You know, you're sitting in that white room, the doctors come in, you stop really understanding what he's saying, and your world has completely changed. So there's the loss, and a lot of people don't grieve the loss, but um, I think even at younger age, that loss, that burden of that loss just gets transferred to a parent instead of an adult. And so I always look at it as it's better that I was diagnosed as an adult because the impact is on me as opposed to transferred to my parents. So you had that thought, like, at least I'm old enough where they don't feel responsible for me. Not initially, but, um, as I've grown over the past, you know, decade, that's, that's what I've come to you know, when people ask me that question, I say, well, at least it's me and, you know, it's within my control as opposed to um, affecting, uh, you know, a parent and a parent really having to uh, be that management. And that doesn't even account for what I, I do a lot with uh, diabetes coaching today of when parents have now have young adults that are ready to launch but the parents don't know how to do the launch because the kids are, you know, seeking individuality. The parents are still nervous. You know, I've got uh, adults that, that still, you know, wake up every day and text their parents, Hey, I'm still alive, which is a really kind of hard place to live. Yeah. Well, well, when you were 26, you didn't live at home. You were on your own. I was. Yeah. (laughs) Did, Did you have any real contact with your parents about diabetes or what was that like to be, an adult, but not so old that you probably still didn't have a fairly, I, I would think, closer relationship. In yeah, uh, well, it was so it was really hard. Um, I was in a really broken marriage at the time. Uh, my ex-wife was, um, yeah, it was not a good situation. I've okay. I've gone through therapy and all this stuff and realized that I was going through um, uh, abuse and all those other things, um, as well as. The day I called my parents to let them know that I had been diagnosed, um, they said, yeah, well, we have news for you as well. Um, Your dad's uh, kidney cancer is back. So they were in the midst of a medical struggle at the same time I was in the midst of a new diagnosis. And so um, I'm sure they were way more supportive um, than I really kind of remember in hindsight. Mm -hmm. but. It was it was a difficult time for the entire family. Yeah, they had their own specific thing going on. And oh, wow. Jeez, this is why we have these conversations, Eric, because I didn't expect you to say actually any of what you just said. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Nor did I. No, no, that's something. I, uh, I So I'm hearing that your first wife uh, gave you diabetes. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that yeah, stress uh, is a, a factor, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's just blame her as we move forward, okay? Uh, okay, so, wow, and I'm sorry, your father, how did that all go? I feel like I have to ask you, although kidney cancer doesn't sound like a good thing in a reoccurrence. Yeah, no, he went 
Um, he went through uh, basically the first tumor he had grew over a three-year period. The second tumor that came back grew the same size in six months. So it um, transferred into what's called spindle cell carcinoma, which is extremely aggressive. Um, and he tried everything with the best doctors, bone marrow transplants. Um, my parents' approach was to exhaust all opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, he, he passed away at 53, which is always kind of a you know, being someone with a health condition like I am today and now being 45, there is a little bit of an underlying health watch of, am I going to make it past 53, even though it's not rational, right. but it's just, it's life and it can mess with your head sometimes. I would imagine. I, I found myself wondering how much correlation there is in that, or if it is just something that people think about, like, oh, my my dad made it to this, you know, I'm just trying to make it there. I wonder if that really, you know, if the, if the data actually supports that there's anything to worry about there. Yeah, I don't, I don't actually think that the data supports it, but it's yeah. definitely, there's a, I, I would imagine a lot of people go through that mental gymnastic. hundred percent. We, we love to set arbitrary, like milestones for ourselves in the future. It, it's people love to do that, you know? Yeah. Well, I would, I would, maybe put a finer point on it. People love to put arbitrary limitations on themselves. Yeah. And by thinking, Hey, my dad only made it 53. Like I'm already kind of saying, well, uh, that's a hurdle. Yeah. I hear you. I did the, I do the exact opposite thing. I always look around and think like, you know, if I make it to this age, that's good. If I make it to this age, I, I always think of it as like these little races where you get like bonuses at the end. Like, <laughs> I love it. I don't, I don't know exactly what the, like, you know, you know, in your 20s, you don't meet very many people who have certain ailments. And so you think, well, if I, you know, there, I'll be clear for that. But now I got to just leap over that. And there's, again, there's no real common sense to it at all. It's just, you know, it's ridiculous. It, it really is. Our minds play a lot of uh, a lot of interesting tricks on us. So, um, so you have been an adult, a sexually active adult. Um, I have. Without diabetes and, and with it. And so, yes. and so, Eric, you're on today because you were the you were the lone man in a sea of women who who stepped forward. You were the lone man who said, "I will talk about what it's like to have sex with type one." Um, and I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, for whatever reason, dudes like sex, but they don't like talking about it. Uh, I think it's funny to talk about, so I'm good. Okay. Um, so, I guess we'll, we should start in before for a second like prior to type one did you have any i don't know what to call it like was there anything about you know being intimate with another person that made you feel like uncomfortable or you know self self i don't know like like i did you were you were you just one of those people who was like hey leave the lights on i'm good let's get going or were you uh under the blankets kind of guy like how did you start off your endeavors well, I, I'll start with this. Like, I had to warn my mom that I was going to be on a sex podcast. Like, uh, my grandfather was an Episcopalian priest. Um, sex wasn't really talked about. Um, you know, the, the conversation with dad was like, uh, do you know what it is? And I said, yes. And he said, great. And, you know, <laughs> on the way. So uh, sex was always kind of a, a taboo talk topic. Mm -hmm. So I really you know, that kind of led into the bedroom a little bit too. It was, um, 
you know, I, I never really felt that comfortable in it. Um, you know, early on in life and really at the time of diagnosis. So pre-diagnosis, I wasn't exactly, you know, I wasn't Casanova out there by any means. Right. I don't think any of us are, are, we were at the whim of women who are nice enough to be kind enough to have sex with us. So, <laughs> but it, you know, it's funny as you're talking, I realize you're a, you're a, a handsome man, Eric, we've met and you're in good shape and I'm not in, you know, what you would, I'm not in your shape. Uh, and I could probably have sex in the middle of the mall with a thousand people there if my mom was shopping in Macy's. I, I don't, <laughs> and I don't know if that's just a if there's like that's the monkey part of my brain. Like I don't know exactly, but um, you'd be hard pressed to put me in a situation where I'd say mm, no, no thanks, not now. That seems wrong here or there. Not that I would, you know what I'm saying. I'm over exaggerating yeah. about being in public, but I don't think there's a lot about uh, there's not a lot about it that holds me back ever. But as you're discussing it, I realize I didn't grow up in a house where people, you know, shied away from it or, or, you know, nobody said to me, like, you know what it is, right? That thing. Yeah, we don't have to say it. And then it's over, you know, like it didn't work that way for me. But, but okay. So you weren't exactly, you weren't exactly like swinging from a vine like Tarzan prior to diabetes. <laughs> no, no, no. And I, you know, I, I wasn't sexually active until, um, college. And so, yeah, it was, it was much later in life for me than some others. And, um, you know, just the fact that I reached out, you know, kind of is a really, uh, part of my transformation as well, whether it's through, um, counseling or, um, really in communication with my wife, um, Heather, who's amazing. So even doing this was, is sort of you trying to be a little more aggressive and bolder for yourself. Well, me doing this is really about, um, look, I run a PG Insta account. All of my communication is very, um, it's, it's very PG and, and maybe even G. Um, and there is not a place uh, where people really talk about, especially males, diabetes and sex. And so I've had you know, I met a, a guy out in California just on a, a whim. I was like, hey, I'm in town. Hey, you want to talk? And we talked. And one of the things we talked about was being diabetic men and how it affects sex just because it's not out there. And there's not a lot of people like you that say, hey, I'm going to do an After Dark series. So. so so what's the first concern? Like, first of all, do you pump? Do you inject? Do you wear a CGM? What do you have? Yeah, so I wear a CGM and I wear a, a tubeless pump. Okay, so let's guess you have a Dexcom and an Omnipod. <laughs> That's and, correct. Right, okay, and um, and you are. So, what's the first thought? You meet your now wife. I'm assuming when you had diabetes, you met her. Yes. Right, and so I'm. I use that math to figure that out with your age and your diagnosis date. I think everyone should be incredibly impressed. And so, the first time you guys decide we're going to move forward here she knows you have diabetes already. That's correct. Right. Was there any conversation around it? Was there, um, Hey, by the way, I'm, I've got some gear on, like don't bump into my CGM or what do you do? How do you, do you talk about it or do you just not talk about it? Well, it, at the very beginning we didn't. Um, but we actually, you know, we talk about, um, diabetes in relation to sex, uh, a fair amount because we, sex is part of a healthy relationship. I mean, um, 
you know, when I think about it, like sex is what connects you to a partner. Um, it releases oxytocin. It's the same sort of uh, thing that's released in a, a child that's um, breastfeeding with a mom and, and the mom uh, gets from uh, that process. So there is a bonding process part of sex. So we talk about sex quite a bit. Um, but early on, like it was just, you know, when something came up, then we would talk about it. Okay. But now that the doors are open and most of the stuff has come up um, over the course of seven years that um, we can proactively have those conversations. So did you feel self-conscious for her seeing your your gear? You know, it's funny. I said gear and now I think people think I mean penis, but I mean like your CGM and your and your pump. Like, did you... Um, did you feel self-conscious the first time you took your clothes off or how did it make you feel? Do you remember? Uh, I'm more self-conscious and kind of goofy about my other gear. My diabetes gear doesn't, you know, <laughs> um, bother me too much. You know, there's, it's, it is what it is. Um, and it's not me versus my gear is me right so right. like if she doesn't like the the diabetes equipment then it's the diabetes equipment's ugly it's not that i'm ugly right right right, right. i hear what you're saying yeah like so you wouldn't have taken it personally if, if if she like stared a little too long at something or or something like that no no but i will say that you know one of the things that i do think about is your diabetes gear should be in certain spots uh and i specifically don't put it in certain spots so it doesn't get in the way during sex and i actually i'm very happy that i'm tubeless because i don't have to be like hey i'm disconnecting my pump if you know what i mean <laughs> bow chicka wow here we come uh so all right let me try to guess here right i've had sex before i wouldn't want something to be on my hips in the back if we were talking about missionary if uh, she was on top, you wouldn't maybe want it on your thighs. Am I getting am I close? Am I figuring this out or how does it go? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's it's true. And then there's certain parts of like there's optimal placement on your stomach and there's suboptimal placement on your stomach. And then um, really, it's just a lot of it is her being aware of where it is before we're intimate. So like we're we're touchy feely people. We're always hugging multiple times a day. And so she's pretty aware of where my devices are mm -hmm. already before sex is initiated. Now, have you ever gone, have, this is going to sound silly, but have you ever said to yourself, like in your head, I'd love to go from reverse cowgirl to doggy here, but I can't because my CGM is blank. Or does that not come into your head in the moment? Uh, no, typically what happens is something gets bumped and then you go, okay, was that a, uh, was that a fatal bump or not a fatal bump to the pump? And, oh, okay. and you know, if it, if it comes off in the process, no big deal. It's just like anything else. You just reattach it later. So the, the passion part of it sort of overtakes the concern part of it. Like sort of, if you were to knock a lamp over, you wouldn't stop and go, oh, we have to pick the lamp up now. Like that kind of a thing. No, I yeah. mean, usually what it, I, honestly, it's something uh, like that typically happens and it causes a giggle or something and then you get, you get going. You right? roll again, right. Um, do you worry about being low when you're, like, do you worry about like the exertion making you low? Yeah, so I, what 
guys need to be thinking about a lot and, you know, not having the, the view into um, women diabetics. There's also an, uh, an effect there as well is your blood sugar dictates how thick your blood is. Mm. And because our sex organs are filled through engorgement with blood, if you've got thin blood, guess what doesn't happen? Um, erections are really hard to maintain. Um, although sometimes like, you know, you finish and you know, you're like, whoa, I was 56. How did that happen? You know? (laughs) Um, but you know, when you're high, like you're more likely to, um, not last as long. It's going to feel, you're going to feel more pressure. You're going to feel kind of achy. Um, you may feel sleepy and, and slow down in the process. Um, when you're low, um, you know, you, you could have problems, uh, you know, keeping an erection. And like, I, I remember there was a time we were, you know, we were (laughs) active and, and she was manually stimulating and like, I, I had nothing. And think about, it's not just the low blood sugar that's making it hard to get up. But on top of that, because you're low, you've got this emotional, um, catalyst going on in your brain. And so like, I just broke down in tears and like, I had a bawling fit on the side of the bed and it was like, wow. Okay. (laughs) That's kind of not what we planned when we came back to the bedroom. I got to tell you something. I assume the women listening are like, wow, nothing sexier than a crying guy with a taffy for a while we're trying to have sex. Yeah, no, and I think like I, I think it devolved into like you know something about my father dying and all this other stuff. So like it was. So you hit was, like it. You were so low, you got emotional. That that like thing that we all see with our kids or our, or or you know you know adults where you get so low that you just really get emotional out of nowhere. Yes, I was a blubbering baby, and and uh, you know it, it took some time to recover. So. Did she? Did she just like back away and pull the blanket up over top of you while this was going? On? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean in in that moment, I mean she knew something was wrong. Right. Like, and it, it was a uh, it was a um, you know there was a a moment that you know there are moments that you can recover. And there's moments that you can't. And yeah. yeah, And what we've learned is like when you get and you want to have sex and it just doesn't happen, it's okay if you don't recover, but it's always good for me to let her know, Hey, look, I know this didn't happen. Right. But man, if, if you wake up in the middle of the night, let's try this again. Or, you know, just say, yeah, yeah, it wasn't you, but like having that communication that she didn't do anything wrong or, you know, um, her communicating to me that, Hey, it's okay. It didn't work this time. Um, that's an important element because when, when, when people go and have sex and oftentimes before it guys are really good at this, you start building a sex script in your head. Hey, this is what sex is going to look like. Um, but as we know, like, you know, when diabetics, write scripts like diabetes likes to come along and like just crumple up the script and chew it up and laugh in your face when you're doing it. And, um, that's, so that's interesting. So you feel like guys, uh, a lot of people, uh, men are like, I'm going to do this for five minutes. Then I'm moving to this for 13 strokes. And then I'm going to flip out. Like, do you think like, cause I'm, I realized as you're saying that, like I have sex the way I live. Like I just, 
I move in a direction until another direction seems like right. I don't think things through like that. That's interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not as specific as that, mm-hmm. but it is it is a clinical thing. Um, and when you go into um, sex therapy and whatnot, a lot of times there will be discussions around. Well, what is your typical sex script, or what would your ideal sex script be? So it is like it's it's not a hey, I'm going to do this for five minutes and she's going to respond this way and then I'm going to do this for five minutes. It's a more of a general of this is, it's like if you were going to run a, a race, this is how I'm going to approach the race and this is how I think it's going to go. Typically, there's something in that involved, especially in, um, you know, in a committed relationship, you tend to form typical set scripts that work better um, yeah. for you. It's interesting. So I have two questions before we get too far away. You said two things that made me uh, think of some stuff. So before we get too far away from your thought, I want to understand, um, with a high blood sugar, you're saying that no matter how, you know, amazing sex is that feeling of being high, you can't overpower that. And, and I, and I come from a place that with that question, I've, I've had sex while I'm ill before, like sick. And you don't feel sick while you're having sex, but that doesn't, that's, you can't overcome that high blood sugar feeling, huh? Like endorphins and euphoria can't mask that. Oh, it, I mean, it definitely can mask it, but you can't, uh, you can't overcome. Yeah. You can't overcome the physical effects of it. Um, like if, uh, so we actually set a thing of like, if I'm over 200, we typically try not to initiate sex okay. just because you don't know where it's going to go between the start of sex and end of sex and over 200, like I could end up at like 300 or mm-hmm. higher. And, um, you know, I've had those moments where, you know, you're orgasming, you're over 300 and your heart is just, you can just feel it pushing that honey thick blood through your blood vessels and going, man, that's not good. This isn't how I want to go out. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And, and being 45, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, who knows what other complications could be around the corner. So you try not to, you also try not to put too much tax on your body in general. Exactly. Which is already being taxed by the the high blood sugar already. Right. Do you think if you went down in that moment from a heart attack, would you have a wherewithal to be like, like clean me up before they get here? Or do you do what do you think your last thought would be on your way over? Like, Oh, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but my wife would take care of me for sure. Heather, Heather would know what to she, do. She would she, she pretty that. up the situation. It would look like, uh, it would look like you guys were taking family photos when nine one one got there. <laughs> <laughs> I always hope at my death that I have a minute to realize I'm dying. Like, I don't want it to be painful, but I want to be able to cognitively, like, understand that I'm leaving because I want to know the, I want to be able to think, oh, finally I'm going to rest. Like, that's what I want to feel. Like. <laughs> I want to, like, consciously be aware of, like, oh, I'm not going to be tired tomorrow. This is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But so, uh, and then I, I, and I have, I mean this seriously, it's going to sound like a joke, but when you're low on the lower side, like, say your blood sugar is 85 and you're, you know, you're vigorously having sex. I keep saying having sex. I want to say, f-ing, but I have, I keep saying having <laughs> sex. Um, and so, and it, do you ever use that as an excuse to not be 
the more active person in a position? Do you ever say, yo, you got to jump up on top here because I think I can hold on to this 85 blood sugar if I'm not the one thrusting? Have you ever, like, do you get, can you get lazy and use your blood sugar as an excuse? I think is my question. So this is, this is the difference between a diabetic and a non-diabetic in that conversation. You actually are more likely to be in a better position to become more active when you're low, because, um, you know, if, if I'm, if I've got thin blood sugar and it's hard to maintain an erection, it's going to be hard in any position. So you want to be more aggressive then? Well, no, what I'll do is, is so you switch up what you're doing. And, um, uh, let's say I've taken a glucose tab, which, you know, in game glucose tabs is no shame, right? Um, you get that glucose tab in and then you focus on manual stimulation of her or, um, oral stimulation after the glucose tabs dissolved. I mean, there's, uh, and then you've got time to get your blood sugar back up, um, without losing the mood. And actually it's, it's kind of a good thing because, you know, as all guys know it, there's more, uh, time typically involved for a female to, um, enjoy herself. So I hear what you're saying. It takes forever. Now, um, I'm going to ask a question that I think it's possible. You might say yes to, do you ever incorporate the glucose into the event? Um, I, I no. po- and please apologize to your wife if the answer is yes. I'm sorry. For, Cause now I feel like I'm asking a question about her too, but she's never like hit a tablet somewhere and been like, yo, go get that. <laughs> Nothing like that. No, no. Uh, you know, we could be more interesting, I guess, and keep honey by the bedside and like, you know, um, Sounds you know, like put honey in spots to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think people are going to listen to these After Dark episodes and realize that the guy that's teaching them how to use insulin <laughs> has a problem. <laughs> it, it's a, no, it's, it's a new sky to sky, right? No, I'll, I'll tell you, and I mean this. Um, uh, if I'm lucky about one thing and my ability to, to talk off the cuff, it's that I think a lot of people are limited when they're speaking to the ideas that they actually firmly believe or or hold to be true. My brain can go find examples of things that I've never considered before in my entire life. And it happens like in a split second. So I can say something ridiculous and most people, you know, will listen and think, oh, well, he must, um, you know, he must uh, have these thoughts all the time. But I, I trust me, I say stuff I do not mean in any meaningful way. Like they just pop into my head. And I just thought like, I wonder if maybe his wife goes start stuffing like tablets around and being like, yo, you know, piggy, go root that out. You'll be okay. And I mean, luckily, luckily for most diabetics, like the, the, you know, there's sugar hidden in all parts of the house. Um, right. and most, yeah. especially by the bed. And so depending on where you are, you typically have access nearby and, um, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be me, uh, always being aware of a situation, you know, she can ask a question, Hey, are you low? Um, or, you you know, how are you feeling? Have you ever been in the act and just seen a hand come up with a juice box? Like, does she ever (laughs) just be like, yo, I know what this guy needs. Like this. No, no. And my, my real question is, is that, is it on you? Unless it's an emergency situation, is it on you to, to maintain it? And I guess, too, the secondary part of that question is, how hard is it to be aware of your blood sugar while you're having sex? 
The Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor is a staple in our house. Being able to see my daughter's glucose trends and values at a glance is, well, it's irreplaceable, honestly. Right there on my iPhone or your Android, doesn't matter which phone you have, you'll be able to see a loved one's blood sugar. And if you're an adult living with type 1 diabetes, you'll be able to see your own. Right there on your screen. Quick swipe, there it is. The Dexcom shows you your rate of change, how fast you're moving in a direction, right? Am I going up? Am I going down? <laughs> that wasn't even a pun. Anyway, is it happening quickly or slowly? The Dexcom G6 will tell you everything you need to know about your blood sugar. So not only can you know your blood sugars and their speeds, you can know their directions, which is important. Making great decisions about pre-bolusing for meals or you know, as you're listening to today, being ready to have some fun. What could be worse than getting in the mood, getting into bed, and getting too low to perform? With your Dexcom, you can see what your blood sugar is ahead of time and make changes that'll put you in the position you want to be when you're getting into the position you want to be in. I thought that was pretty clever. I got to be honest with you. I hope you do too. Go to Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox to learn more about the G6 continuous glucose monitor. Doesn't matter if you're an adult or a child, if you're living with type 1 diabetes or honestly using insulin at all, even type 2s. The information that comes back from the Dexcom G6 is life-changing. And I mean, if it helps you get off better, that's just a bonus. With the time that's remaining, let's talk about the Omnipod tubeless insulin pump. First things first, tubeless, no tubing. Don't have to hide it in your clothing and isn't a problem when you're not wearing any clothes. Just imagine all of the things that a tube could get caught on. I mean, a doorknob, a handle on your dresser, someone's, I mean, you're gonna have to fill in the blank there, right? But there's a lot of body parts tubing could get caught on. But with the Omnipod, you don't have that problem. No doorknobs or knobs of any kind to worry about tubing getting caught on. The Omnipod is terrific. I believe in it. My daughter's been wearing it forever. And you can check it out at myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. Now, when you get there, ask for the free no obligation demo. They'll send an Omnipod right to your house, right? You could be on MDI right now, but thinking about a pump, slap that Omnipod on somewhere, jump into bed with your significant other, and uh, put it through its paces. See if that thing holds on. Eight seconds. Isn't that a bull riding thing, right? You got to stay on for eight seconds. Well, the Omnipod's going to stay on for three days, right? 72 hours is how long the Omnipod lasts. Isn't that great? You put one on, lasts for 72 hours, insulin runs out, pop it off, put on a new one, going again. Nice fresh infusion sites every 72 hours. All kinds of different FDA approved locations for you to put the pump on. So you're going to have a lot of choice. Choice is what's important. Check out the Omnipod demo to see if it's a good choice for you. And then bring it home and brains out and see if it falls off or not. I bet you it won't. I bet you it'll hold on like a myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. Get that free demo today. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Check out the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor. This is the perfect tandem of diabetes devices, my opinion. Get out there, upgrade your stuff.
how hard is it to be aware of your blood sugar while you're having sex? Um, you know, there, there are times that I'm completely unaware. Like there are times that, like I said, you, you, um, um, you're done having sex and you low, you realize, wow, I was really low during that time period. And I just didn't realize it. it. Um, and for whatever reason, the physical response hadn't happened yet, or, um, I'm high and, you know, didn't know that either because you're right, you know, sex is about passion and passion, um, covers up a lot, uh, in the moment. So, um, what that means though, is oftentimes you'll spike higher or lower than you would normally realize. Um, you know, I don't particularly like to have a watch on, uh, while I'm having (laughs) sex, but like, if I do, then, you know, Dexcom can tell me where I am. Um, and I don't always like, I, I think it's important that I don't let it interfere with our sex life too much. So no, of course I generally know where I am from a blood sugar level, but it's not like I, I think that's one of the advantages of being tubeless and all this other stuff is I don't actually have to physically disconnect anything. Um, so you don't start going up automatically because you're losing your basal. Right, right. It's not like I'm I'm going to run a race and I have to plan 30 minutes in advance before I have sex. Like I, we can, you know, we can let the moment take us. I allude to that in some of my Omnipod ads. I wonder if people hear it when I'm like, you don't have to disconnect, you know, for whatever you're doing. And I, I, I think in this episode, I'm just going to say it in the ad and bleep it out. <laughs> <laughs> that's a tagline I'm sure Omnipod wants to know. The Omnipod tubeless insulin pump. You don't have to take it off the f- <laughs> yeah, really, really. I'll tell you what, they might sell a couple that way. <laughs> Seriously. But, it, but it, like, I, I'm lucky. Um, I, sh- I should point this out. You know, I am lucky in that, um, you know, my wife has no problem with my devices. Yeah. Um, my ex-wife actually, like, part of the, the control that, was um delivered by her i wasn't on the omnipod and i wasn't on a cgm and that technology uh or at least a pump was available and i was constantly being told well you don't want something connected to your body all the time like you wouldn't want that and what she was saying is i don't want you to wear that right exactly and and because of the the mind side of it and so i don't know the situation of every diabetic out there and there may be some fear that somebody's not going to accept um your method of um insulin delivery and and blood sugar control and what i think you know everybody needs to hear is it is your insulin method and your delivery um, choice and and your control choice. And you need to be vocal about why you've made that choice and either the person you're with accepts it or doesn't accept it. Um, but if they don't accept it, that probably a signal of a bigger problem. Did you believe it when she was saying it? Did you think, yeah, I don't want that. Or were you, were you conscious of the fact that she was subliminally telling you she didn't want it in the moment? In in the moment, I I believe that there's a um the, there's a master manipulator kind of effect to what she had um, that led to the the control that um, was extremely effective. Yeah, was she Catholic? <laughs> no, no. I just think that there's a you know, some, I've met some Catholics that are really good at 
the guilt thing. So oh oh yeah, right right, right, right. That, no, that's all. Right. I meant. <laughs> so we'll just we'll just no. imagine she was Jewish and we'll move forward. No, but, those are really yeah. the, those are the two religions that are really on top of guilt. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, like, yeah, and that's, I mean, look, it, that was a really dark time, but that was a part of an aspect of it. Like, you know, my wife and I, Heather, we have a, we have a, like, really free life together. Um, we're very open and encouraging and everything that we do. We talk about um, things in a way, like, she, she's a, 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 Changed from being a CPA to a, a licensed professional counselor. She's an intern right now, all based on her ability to communicate and understand relationships. And that's really what inspired me to come on to this is because if you can take the lessons learned from Heather and our relationship, whether you're in a committed relationship or not, um, when it comes to sex, like you can have a really normal and beautiful sex life, even as a diabetic. I think too, it, it, it harkens back to something I've, I've said on the podcast a number of times, but you, you need to be with the right person and a person who can't accept that you have a glucose monitor or, you know, insulin pumper that you need insulin or whatever, that's not the right person. You, you know, you, you don't want to live an entire life in a battle where you're being manipulated about your, your diabetes of all things. That's just, that's terrible, you know? And, and so I would try to look at it from a more positive aspect, which is you have an extra sensor on you that tells you if the person you're with is a shit or not, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Like, like, because sometimes it's hard to tell, but this, this thing about the, about diabetes, it's hard for them to mask it. If they, if they're not accepting of it, it's easy to see. And so that means it's easy for you to see that you need to be with somebody different, you know, or be treated like, like you don't deserve. And, and you don't want to get, I think Eric can attest to this, you don't want to get caught in a way where you're being treated like that because it's difficult to break out of because there's still, I'm assuming there's other things about the person you like. And so you're ignoring your health to hold on to the parts you do like. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And I, and I think it becomes even more important when you think about it from a sex perspective, because sex is an accelerator, no matter like how much you, you know, believe in one night, night stands or whatever, sex is ultimately an accelerator in any sort of relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's physiological, like that whole oxytocin connection, like you will be forever connected to anyone that you ever had sex with, or, or if you're just in a casual relationship, and then you go have sex, like it's automatically made that more of a thing. And so if you're if you're already experiencing like negative talk from somebody about your diabetes, like you need to have the conversation before you need to have sex, yeah. just because otherwise, like you're setting yourself up for a bad situation with clinging or being caught in a deeper relationship with someone who is never going to accept you as a diabetic or never accept the it's a much more complicated life to live with someone with diabetes yeah. and families that have kids that are, you know, that become diagnosed, they don't have that choice. But we as diabetics or those that come into a relationship with a diabetic, they get to choose whether or not they want to be with a diabetic. Mm -hmm. And you want someone that's okay making that choice. Yeah. And if you've listened to any number of the interviews on this show, when you find, you hear it, when people find uh, a partner that 
is right, it's it's easy. And the diabetes is never an impediment in that situation. You know, now if you're diagnosed, you know, if you're diagnosed after you're coupled to somebody and you find out, oh, geez, look, I guess we found their line. This is too much for them. And I don't know what to do there. Like, you know, if I've been married to somebody for 15 years and I'm diagnosed with type one and then I realize this person is not supportive of this. Like, is that something you end a relationship over? Like, or is it something you eat? You know what I mean? Like, it's it, I guess there's a lot of different scenarios where it comes up. But I think the important base of it is is to, you know, get into a situation where people are respectful of you. I mean, I don't know that that's any different for any other part of a relationship, honestly. No, and I think that's where, like, I think you hit on it. It's not any different than any part of a relationship, which means we need to use the tools that um, are available to us. And, like, therapy is great. And, you know, whether it's therapy because I've now been diagnosed and I need relationship, honestly, in in my coaching, like, it doesn't even have to be a licensed professional counselor, you can do relationship coaching um, that, you know, doesn't get into deeper mental health issues, but just is coaching on how to talk and um, educate couples on how to talk about diabetes, um, you know, learning things like asking the question of how are you feeling as, as opposed to where is your blood sugar, you know, things like that, that um, really help. The same thing can go for sex. Like people think about, oh, like a relationship's going into trouble. I'm going to have, so now I want to go into therapy. Well, the time to have therapy is really before things go into trouble. Mm. Like, you know, and there's nothing wrong with having sex therapy as well as, you know, relationship therapy. And sometimes it can come from the same source. Wow. What do you, what do you find, um, thinking specifically about like sex therapy like what do you think is most people's blockade is it just that it was made taboo to them is that like the worst thing i could do to my kid is make sex taboo to them i guess is my question it's one of the biggest um because when you think about it um sex is a form of communication and ultimately it's uh, it can be a very unelaborate or an elaborate dance. Um, and the more elaborate the dance, the more you need better communication. And um, feeling that shame is going to lead to not talking about things. So, like, I don't want to give the impression that we're in the bedroom and we're always like, well, do you want me to do this here or do this there? Yeah, right. No, like, there's a time for having that communication. But um, if you don't communicate, like, who knows, I could have something that I'm interpreting that I'm doing that feels great for her. And she's like, yeah, that feels awful. Or it might feel good at, you know, this time, but this other time, like, don't do that because that's affecting things. If you can't have those conversations like that because of shame or the privacy of diabetes or because one party feels like, you know, guy may come in and say like, this is my sex script and it feels good to me. Um, or a girl, same thing. These are the only ways that, that are going to work for me. If you don't have those conversations, like you're never going to have a fulfilling sex life. Hey, and, and how's the other person? That's sad. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if, if you've been letting somebody twist your nipple for uh 30 years and you don't like it, pl- you know, 
because they're like, this must be great, right? And you're like, eh, I don't know why you would think that. Uh, but, you know, like it's not. Or if you want that and nobody would think to do it, the same thing. You have to reach up. Maybe the partner is just like, I, I don't want to like do that. That doesn't make it wouldn't feel good to me. And that really is, by the way, a human thing. We all think that what we like sex or not sex is what everyone likes. Like if it, if it works for you, it just makes sense. It's, it's why we push our politics on each other or, you know, like anything like, you know, like this makes sense to me. So it must make sense to everybody. And that's just not the case. And, yeah. I mean, know. yeah, that the perfect example is, and, and it fits here is like the love languages. You know, if I, if my love language is touch, I'm going to touch my wife a whole lot more, but if her, love language is words like I need to be using more words and less touch. Right. Yeah. One person could be tactile. One person could be more, you know, intimacy based with, you know, like you said, with, with language, it's just, and you're never going to know if you don't ask because there's no way that you've, unless, I mean, listen, those of you who are lucky, who are just like, you know, animals who bumped into another animal, like good for you, you, you know, because then that must just be like a cage fight. I would assume you just, <laughs> just go in and start throwing hands until it's over. And everybody's like, ah, it was perfect. So, <laughs> so I have a question about, um, it occurs to me that when I'm done having sex, I am frequently hungry. And is it difficult to pre bolus for a, post-coital meal? Not so much in that um, there is a uh, there's a natural effect of you're going to be higher sensitivity. Oh, after. so maybe you don't need as much of a pre-bolus because you have all that activity. Correct. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so I think like I think that's one of the things we forget about the most in, in, uh, as diabetes is insulin sensitivity, because, you know, even with all the algorithm stuff, you know, loop and whatnot, um, even basal IQ, whatever it is, insulin sensitivity is determined to be flat unless you tell it's different. Um, but great thing about sex is you, your insulin sensitivity goes up afterwards. So if you're hungry afterwards, like it takes less insulin or, you know, you're less likely to spike because, and, Frankly, sex is worth the spike. Yeah. Put please. that on a t-shirt. <laughs> is bolus worthy? Is that what you're saying, Eric? <laughs> uh, just another episode with a lot of beeps. <laughs> uh, I said something in an episode I recorded yesterday that's just going to be like nine seconds of beep. Just <laughs> No one's going to know what God said. Uh, yeah. Fill in the blanks for yourself. You decide what's bolus worthy. It'll uh, there you go. It'll work out for you. Um, I, I have. Are there any things that your wife has ever said to you that you think would be valuable for other people to know um, going into a relationship? You know, it, questions she's had or things you've seen her kind of maybe like pause about, like stuff that people could be looking for. Um. I'm trying to understand the question. Like, like, has she ever done something or reacted in a certain way that would make you think like, oh, this must be common for a lot of people. Like something I, I could know, like it might happen so I could be ready for it or something that you could have done differently uh, that caused confusion for her or anything like that. Um, I honestly, I think it's more about um, myself. Uh, there is, a there's a natural um, 
I guess, fear of performance for males. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this, uh, the whole expectation of the difference between how long it takes to get a man aroused versus a woman aroused. And um, so there's already a lot of pressure to perform that you can feel as a man, add diabetes to it. And there is a tendency for me to hold that in uh, as opposed to share it with my wife. And the pressure that you feel that yes, you, you the, might not do this well. Yes. Yes. Or like, you know, uh, oh, look, it's, you know, tonight's not going to be a long one, you know, honey, but like, I still want to be together. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, she's been good about encouraging that communication. Um, yeah. There's a lot of things that whether it's diabetic or just sex related, you know, you know, reminder that, you know, sometimes sex can just be physical. We both may not be like in that romantic place, but we need to physically connect. And so we have, you know, there's an opportunity to have sex that way. Like there's just a lot in a relationship that, um, I guess if you're married to a diabetic male, chances are that male is not going to be comfortable about talking about it. Um, yeah, cause and, boys are silly. Yeah. They really don't talk much. And by the way, you just said bang one out in the nicest way I've ever heard anyone say it in my entire life. <laughs> I, I'm married to a therapist. What can I say? <laughs> you really, you said that in a way that a man or a woman could be comfortable with. You could have said that in front of a total stranger and they would have been like, Oh, I know what he means. He means, you know, sometimes when you just need to real quick and so <laughs> <laughs> you but you really were good at that. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny. I don't want to brag, but I will for a second. I realized that I your your answer about like time, like the pressure to perform. Like when you said pressure to perform, it didn't strike me the way you meant it at first because that has just never been an issue for me. Like you could say to me, Eric, let's if we were together, and you said to me, Scott, I want to have sex tonight, but I only want it to last four minutes. I'm your man. And if you said to me, Scott, I want to have sex tonight, but I want it to go 45 minutes, whatever. I'll do that too. Like, I don't have, I can't, it doesn't matter to me. I can do it for as long as you want to do it. And that sounds like a, it's not even a humble brag. It sounds like bragging, but it's not. It's just what I've found in my life. But I realized that that's just specific to me and not to everybody. Like, there's no amount of time I couldn't accommodate as far as I know. I've never, I've never gone, I've never gone for like, you know, uh, you know, three hours or something like that. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that within the, in the, in the confines of reasonability where a woman would not be like, oh God, I'm, you know, this is not pleasurable anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Whatever that space of time is, I'm okay in, but yeah. Yeah. And I, I think what, what's interesting is, is in general, comparison is a thief of joy. And we're constantly bombarded with these images of what sex should be, um, you know, what sex is on TV or, or you know, uh, pornograph- pornographic images that are put out there right. and whatnot. And, you know, that can put a lot of pressure on anyone, whether you're in a committed relationship or you're early on in a relationship of what you think the other person thinks you should be able to do from a performance perspective. And there are some people that are like, Hey, I'm going to go get mine and I don't really care what happens to the other person. Yeah. 
Um, there are other people that, you know, a lot of their arousal is derived by the arousal of their partner. And so that becomes a very important part of sex um, in, in their relationship. And so I think there's a lot of angles to it. And I think that's why if, if anything else that I can take, you know, that everybody could take from this conversation is one, remember the physical side of blood thickness Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and all of this, but, and two, communicate, but, but really three, like, don't be afraid to, if you're not communicating in the same lanes with your partner on sex to get somebody that can help guide you in those conversations, because regardless of whether it's four minutes or 45 minutes, and, you know, that can mean a whole lot of things. You could have, you know, two hours of floor play and and two minutes of, of actual penetration, or you could have like, you know, much longer penetration, depending on what the circumstances are, but it's all sex. Um, whether it's manual stimulation, oral stimulation or whatever. And I think that's, I think what you have to do is realize that being diabetic, you've just got to add a little bit more versatility into it and, and change the script during, during the act, um, just to make sure that, that y'all are connecting in a way that that's fulfilling. Yeah. Not that's, that's good advice. That really is. I, I, I can't, um, I, do you think that were you saying a minute ago that the access to pornography is given people unreasonable expectations for what sex should be? I, I think it's, there's a lot of it. it's, and it's not just pornography, but it's, it's also just, um, bravado and or it's really the simple act of comparison is like if i'm always comparison it's like uh so i you know don muchow's running across the u.s uh as a type 1 diabetic Mm -hmm. like last year he ran across texas i ran four days with him i ran 110 miles with the guy for four days and afterwards i i like spent weeks going yeah but he ran 850 and I'm like, that's stupid. Yeah. Like I ran 110 miles. I got to own that. Like the same thing in, in, in sex. Like if my wife feels really good about our sex life and I make her feel really good, then all of the other comparisons don't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what happens is when we see things like pornography or we see what's going on on TV or we hear people talk about like, I, you know, people could hear you say, Hey, like I could go for 45 minutes. And that makes them feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's really, that's not the point because yeah, honestly, I I'm sure there's some women be like, Hey, please do not make it 45 minutes. Oh yeah. Like hundred percent. Yeah. And that, and that's what I was saying too. It doesn't need to be that long. It could be, it could be whatever, whatever's fulfilling. I mean, my honest interpretation of, of a sexual relationship, I've always just sort of thought, that if I concentrate on my partner's pleasure and they're concentrating on mine, then we both make out okay. Do you know what I mean? Like it's um, like if you're not going in very like greedily, I think, and thinking about like this is what I want out of this, and I'm going to make sure this thing happens for me, then you know everyone should you know I'm assuming have a reasonable time, you, you know, uh, and, and get and get what they're looking for out of it, whether it be emotional or physical you know or just recreational i guess Uh, yeah no that's that's a great way to look at it there's a there's a great uh blogger dr kelly flanagan that 
says uh, he's got a book called Marriages for Losers. And that's the whole the whole concept there is like if you're focused on giving your partner what they need as opposed to winning an argument or winning <laughs> the, the sex race, right. whatever it is. If you're focusing on um, selflessly giving, then uh, especially in sex, then you're going to have a great sex life. Yeah, it should give back to you. Like, I think that's a life lesson, honestly. It's, I, you know, I was saying the other day while we were doing the this, this show that I, that I think the way I talk about insulin really is just the way I think about life. It's it's just common sense, and you know, it, it. There's a weird overlap there that I'm still discovering. But I realize that I didn't come up with some amazing, com- you know, thing about insulin out of the clear blue. It's just how I think about things, and it happens to work with diabetes management. And I think that there's a way to live that you know uh, works with a lot of things. And I think being selfless is one of them. Like just that idea of if I'm a person who's helping the people around me, and they're helping me, then you know, we get to think about other people, which is incredibly um, fulfilling, and 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 it fills you up. You know, I don't have a, I'm, I'm not a, a religious person by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel, um, you know, I don't know if you would call it spiritually or emotionally, like I feel full like that, and I it's from this podcast, you know, in regards to diabetes, and in my personal life, I just came to the conclusion a long time ago. I've been a stay-at-home dad for a really long time, but I just came to the conclusion a long time ago that my kids had things they needed. I was the one they were looking to for them and that I had to find meaning in doing those things. Like it, it, you can't look at vacuuming the carpet as like this thing that's like, oh, I can't believe I'm the one that has to vacuum the carpet. You have to think of it as I'm providing a clean home for my children. You, you know, and they'll grow up one day thinking that having a clean home is important and they'll, you know, they'll do the same. And I don't know, there's just, there has to be, there has to be something in those things that, that fills you up. You can't always be looking to climb a mountain or, you know, bang as many girls as you can, or like, that's just like a weird way to like live your life, I think. And yeah, you know, no, there's, there's beauty in what you're offering. And I think that's the thing is, is if, it's important to find beauty in what you're offering, but it's also important that your partner finds beauty in what you're offering. And um, I think, you know, it's very easy to come out and distance from things that don't feel good. Like if your sex life is not working well, whether it's because you've been newly diagnosed or you still haven't figured out diabetes and sex, like, the natural inclination is to distance, but the real answer to the the problem is is to actually have more sex because it's just like any other thing <laughs> you do. Like if if you're vacuuming and you've only vacuumed once, like watching my you know kids vacuum for the first time, it's like what are you doing? Like you're not even cleaning the carpet, right? But right. like after over time, you learn how to vacuum well. It's the yeah. same thing with sex, like. And your body, there's actual, uh, just like diabetes and exercise, diabetes and sex, there's a physical adaptation where your body starts to go, oh, hey, I know what this is. It's bomb chicka bomb pom time. And like, I know how to adjust. Yeah, I hear you. That sounds cool. All right, listen, this was fun, Eric. (laughs) 
<laughs> appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate you doing this. Did, um, did we not say anything that you thought, oh, we should definitely say while we're here? Uh, just for dudes, you know, because there is something out there around diabetes and erectile dysfunction and fears around that. And, um, I think it's just important to know, you know, there's studies out there that say anywhere from 35 to 75% of type ones will ultimately, uh, experience ED and that type ones are 50% more likely. Um, it's, a good thing to just have conversations with your wife about it instead of living in that fear alone. Um, just, I think with anything else, whatever your fear is, don't hold it to yourself, share it with your spouse so that she can join you in there. Um, and y'all can plan together for what life looks like at that time. Cool. That's a great idea. Well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate you doing this in the middle of the coronavirus lockdown. <laughs> yes, uh, it seems perfect time to talk about sex when we're supposed to be physically distancing. So. Yeah, yeah, physically distancing. Nine months from now, there are going to be eight billion babies flying out of vaginas all over the world. Uh, so, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I mean, how long can you stay in your house before you just like, uh, I think people who hate each other are going to start <laughs> well, I, honestly, though, like there is a certain amount of like, hey, if if as a diabetic, like if my wife gets sick, like, you know, how much sex should we be having right now? Like, it's actually a, a, a thing, like a, a conversation, you know, I'm going to tell um, you a story, Eric, that I didn't think would ever come up on this podcast ever. But when I was like 20 years old, I think I was dating this girl. She was lovely. And I, I got really sick. I had, I had mono. So I was like shot. Like I could barely move. I felt like I was dying. And this girl was an angel. She would come over every day to have sex with me to make me feel better. (laughs) And I have to tell you, that I would live an entire day almost incapable of moving. I was so sick. And for the time she was there, I felt really great. And uh, and I, I would say to her, like, the first time, I'm like, you can't get this. She's like, we'll just keep our faces away from our each other's faces. And I was like, oh, this girl's a player. She really was <laughs> terrific. Um, I did not end up married to her, just so everyone doesn't think that was my wife in that story. But... Um, But she was really, like, it was funny. Like, she was young, and, you know, she didn't have, you know, like, I mean, we were young. We didn't have, like, an incredibly deep relationship. And I felt, I think that the thing she felt like she had to offer me to help me feel better was her body, and that's what she did. And I was really grateful at the time. I still think about it 30 years later as one of the more selfless things anyone's ever done. Uh, but having said that, don't get the coronavirus because you want to have sex because <laughs> this is more serious than mono, I think. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, but yeah, I guess it's a it's a scary thing, right? Like because um, we're talking about, you know, droplets, you know, from your mouth. Um, and then I'm assuming that, you know, it's funny. I talked about um, I talked about coronavirus with a doctor the other day he's going to come back on i guess i'm going to have to ask him about how a transfer during sex would work um and get and get a real question a real answer out of that because this one with you will go up after that one so sure you know people will look back one day and go oh i remember hearing that uh so you'll know that that question came up here with eric and uh, 
And I hope all of you will still listen after hearing just a tiny bit about how I have sex. (laughs) 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 You're not like, oh, I'm done with this show. (laughs) Uh, Eric, this was really cool of you to do, man. You talked about some stuff that I don't imagine a lot of people would want to talk about. And actually, from responses from men, uh, there were not a lot of men who wanted to talk about it. So uh, you you did a really nice thing here for a lot of people. So thank you very much. Thank you, Scott. And I appreciate the forum. Absolutely. If you want to check out Eric, go to DutcherLife.com. That's Dutcher Counseling at DutcherLife.com. Also on Instagram at Chronic Superhuman. Huge thanks to the greatest mother insulin pump on the planet, the Omnipod. Tubeless, baby. Check it out. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice box. Get yourself a free no obligation demo today. Stop getting your insulin pump tubing caught on people's n- And the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. Head over Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Links in the show notes of your podcast player and at juiceboxpodcast.com. Oh, doesn't it feel good to curse a little bit? I f***ing love cursing. I swear to God, I could spend all day saying, f*** him in the shove it up your ass, mother Oh, so much goodness comes from cursing. Hey, thanks so much for checking out the After Dark series from the Juicebox podcast. Today, of course, with sex from the male perspective, we also have sex from the female perspective, depression and self-harm, trauma and addiction, smoking weed, drinking beers. We got a lot. And there's more coming. There's a lot more, actually. I have a couple recorded right now for After Dark. You're going to enjoy these things. They're honest conversations about real-life issues that everyone has. And, you know, people with type 1 diabetes have them, too. We just never seem to talk about them for some reason. Well, not here. On this podcast, we're going to pick into the deep, dark, recessed corners of, you know, reality and talk about it. We're pretty far from 15 carbs, 15 minutes. And I think that's right where we need to be. How can you possibly be expected to live with something like type 1 diabetes if you don't understand the full scope and impact that the disease can have and ways that you can mitigate those impacts? That's it. I didn't mean to get serious at the end. Should I curse again? Oh, uh, 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 wait, how do I want to end? I was just going to blurt out a curse, and now I feel a lot of pressure to pick the right one. Isn't that something? Nah, I can't think of one. That's crazy. Thanks so much for listening to the Juicebox Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And of course, tell a friend. Share the show. Please help me spread the word.